non-benders alike, welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And this is the official beginning of Braving the Elements Season 2, Varney. What, what? I'm We're so back. happy. We did it. Oh, man. I'm so excited. I'm super excited. Can't wait to dive into book two, right? A lot of great stuff happened book two, and especially things like us getting closer to the Fire Nation. <laughs> Please tell me there are other reasons that you're excited for this season other than that we go one step closer to the Fire Nation. There's also other <laughs> members of the Fire Nation we meet in this book, for better or worse. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I wonder who you could be talking about. I know we meet some new heroes, some new villains, uh, like a certain someone's, I don't know, evil sister or... Did we get to see my sibling? <laughs> I love hate that girl. Yeah. So would you call her a highlight of season two, or is it more of, like, a necessary evil? <laughs> I mean, I, she she comes out gangbusters at the beginning, so I don't know. Is it a highlight first episode? Like, here she is. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does. She does. It's going to be a rough season for Prince Zuko, uh, perhaps for that exact reason and more, but... We can agree that we're very excited to hopefully bring the voice actor behind Azula, our friend, the wonderful Grey Delisle, onto the <sighs> podcast. Got a lot of requests from fans. Can't wait. Grey Delisle, seriously, you guys out there, she's one of my favorite people in the world to just yes. work with her, but also to just hang out with her. Yeah, She's great. Oh my gosh. She makes us laugh so hard. So that should be very cool. I do feel that we can make a promise that we will have Great Delisle on the podcast. Can we make that promise? I'm going to make a sacred vow that we will have Great Delisle on this podcast this season. That's a strong statement. Let me just say, I feel like it's going to happen. And I can't wait for you guys to meet Gray because just yeah, one she's in a million. one in a million. She's so special. She did a great job. Maybe too great for how incredibly intimidating Azula is. Maybe too great for poor Prince Zuko. But we also meet a bunch of other ridiculously awesome characters. Azula's Fire Nation is great and everything, but you know, there's another member of the gang we meet. This book, the mighty, mighty Toph, is coming up in book two, which is, uh, I can't wait. Yeah. And Michaela Murphy. Are you going to oh. vow for that one also? I will vow. Now, I want our friends at Nickelodeon to realize that me vowing is not the same thing as us announcing these guests are coming on because we don't quite. <laughs> I'm just saying I make a personal sacred vow. Also, how about a little someone who becomes fairly important to a certain prince uh, in the future, a little someone I like to call May? Oh, yeah. The whole girl gang. <laughs> Watch out, Zutaras. Watch out, Zutara. We're going to meet May. There's a new girl in town. And not to mention May's homie, Ty Lee's coming. The whole girl gang gets united in book two. It's so good. That trio is one of my favorite things about this series. I can't wait to watch it and see it, how it all happens again. Yeah. And no offense to everyone who loves those three characters like I do, but it is clear they needed to introduce three characters to just make up for one Toph on the other side. That's how awesome that's Toph true. is. At least three for every one of Toph. I, know, I didn't even realize as we were going through book one that Toph doesn't come to book two. I just think she's like always there, but then you're like, oh, she's new to the crew. Yeah, and she's one of the fandom's favorite characters. Like, we, when we do cons, we just hear about Toph all the time. Because she's the mighty Toph. She's the greatest earthbender of all time. So good, so good. We come out kicking with Azula, but we don't even meet Toph in the first episode of book two. I want you to rest assured that the love of Toph, the love of Zula, and all the other characters that we have been just talking about right now, that love is very alive on the internet. 
And I figured since this is our first episode officially back for season two and we're just kind of chilling, catching up, getting ready, getting in the mode, in the zone for book two, I would check in with some of our listeners just via my Twitter at Janet Varney and Instagram at the JV Club. What episodes of book two they are most excited about us covering. And I'm sure it won't surprise you that Toff's first introduction was very well represented in those responses. I basically just flung out there to everybody like, yo, what are you excited about us covering for book two? What episodes are your favorites? What are you psyched about? And I got some answers. Are you wondering what they are? My mind doesn't think about Uh Avatar in book one, (laughs) two, or three. It thinks about it like one whole thing. All right. Well, then this is going to be really hard for you. It is. Because I've decided I want you to guess what the top five episodes are from the hundreds of replies we got over a couple hours time on social media. I want you to try and guess what you think the top five favorite episodes were of the fans that responded. And I put the list of all the episodes on a little list for you so you can look at them. It's a lot of pressure. I'm going to come out and I'm going to look at the list. I might say episodes that may not even be booked to, but guess what? We're going to say episodes. (laughs) I'm going to say for sure The Cave. Is that on the list? I'm not going to tell you until we get to the end. I want to hear all five that you're guessing, and I'll tell you which ones you got. How about coming back to Omashu or something like that? Okay, all right. I'm going to count that as your second guess. That's two out of five. Okay, what about... uh, Okay, now I'm going to look at the list because now... (laughs) Oh, Tales of Bossing Say. 100% Tales of Bossing Say. All right, I got three. I got Cave of Two Lovers. I got Return to Omashu. Oh, The Blind Bandit. 100% The Blind Bandit. Blind Bandit. Zuko Alone. Okay, that's four. For sure. Zuko Alone. I am actually very impressed by your guesses because I got something to tell you, which is within this question, the fifth most popular, we're so excited for you to cover it, the fifth was The Cave of Two Lovers. I knew it. I thought that would be like within first one or two, but it's the fifth one, but it is in top five. Uh, And to be honest... I don't remember a lot about the episode, but I do remember that song a lot. So, I mean, to be fair. Now, can I tell you something? The only thing that's sad about that, because I'm great with you only remembering the song, is that it's possible one of your siblings is also in that episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> your own brother does play a does character he? in that episode. This is why yeah. we rewatch things, you guys. This is why we have to keep our stories alive in the family because we forget them. <laughs> That's why I thought it would be fun to spring this on you before we even started book two, because it is definitely a sign of things to come. Right. We have those things in our mind. When we get to them, we're going to think about it. Well, oh, yeah, we talked about this one. This is one people are really excited about. This is one my brother's in. All right. The fourth most popular response, The Crossroads of Destiny, which is the season finale oh. of book two. Those words didn't come out of my mouth when we were just talking. Those words did not come out of your mouth. You basically said return to Omashu in place of this because you definitely did very well with your remaining three guesses. Okay, so Tales of Bossing say third most popular 
And then second most popular people super psyched for us to cover it, Zuko alone. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a good one. Although Tales of Bossing Say is my probably my favorite episode of all the episodes. I in know. All the I think so for me too. One of them. This people had a really hard time coming up with their favorite episode for this. In fact, so many people answered like five episodes instead of just right. one because people are like, book two is smoking. It is such a good season. What's number one? Blind Bandit. Yeah, it is, of buddy. I Nailed love Blind it. Bandit. Too. I would say. By kind of a lot, it's the number one response we got. Come on. The blind bandit comes. Yeah. So, so good. I also want to fill you in on some of the specific responses. Shout out to Costhetic on Instagram, who says, Crossroads of Destiny, Azula is such a boss in this finale. I loved that comment. Also wanted to shout out Ray Marie J, who says, Definitely impossible to choose my favorite episodes, but one of my favorite parts of season two is Aang's emotional arc, particularly in the desert and the following episodes. Aang, and I'm not even going to say this one because it's a too much of a foreshadow report, but the ending shot of the desert makes this person so happy emotional growth that the creators find throughout this season. There are so many moments of emotional growth. And Ray Marie J says, one of my favorite things about Avatar is how emotion and character oriented it is. I also love how Aang's growth is more subtle than some of the other people in the season, but they still show just how human and flawed he is. I said, uh-oh, that's something we would say on the podcast. That's some smart talk right there. Wanted to give that one a, a shout out, right? I mean, we've said that all through book one. Also want to shout out Truthseeker988 for their best use of emojis, for one thing. Favorite season, things got pretty wild, and boy, was it exciting. We got the smiley face sticking its tongue out and closing its eyes tightly. We got fire. We got two swords. I know what those two swords stand for. To me, they stand always for Blue Spirit. Uh, a black blob that may or may not be a storm cloud. Uh, tornado and some waves. Love to see everybody packing in those emojis, making them work Avatar style. She's Queen says, the swamp. Three exclamation marks. I also don't think I'm mentally slash emotionally ready to unpack the crossroads of destiny. So we got a ways to go. She's queen. Don't you worry about it. We got a lot of episodes to cover before that. You can get yourself emotionally ready. We got Zaradros. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, saying, I think my favorite will always be Guru Patik episode. In fact, it's my favorite episode among all the episodes from all the seasons. Excited to get into the guru and help balance our chakras. Vern B says, I don't really have a favorite because I love them all, but I'm excited for the Secret Tunnel song. So I guess it's got to be Cave of Two Lovers. A lot of people, a lot of people on social media want to hear us sing that song. Sing the song? We've already sang it many times, including in the Comic-Con episodes that we've released. We sing it with D. We sing it with D. The thing is that I get caught up on the lyrics because I do know the chorus. I don't really know the verse. Guess what? Even in the episode, it's baked in that the person singing the song doesn't remember all the yeah, lyrics. Yeah, he doesn't know the so verse either. You officially have a, such an out on that one. You're golden. Yes. On Twitter, I just want to shout out, uh, first of all, I want to say one of the first responses we got was from our mutual friend, Hector Navarro, who immediately responded and said, I'd tell you my favorite episode, but then I'd start uncontrollably sobbing and I got stuff to do today, man. And then he put an image of Iroh under a tree and I think it's fair to say he's thinking of the moment where we learn a little bit more about yeah. Iroh's son and it makes say. all of us sob uncontrollably. Ay, ay, ay. Cody Middleton says the library, Tales of Bossing Say, or Appa's Lost Days. The library's a good episode, too. We didn't say the library. Yeah. 
Yeah, right? Library sets up so much for the rest of the show. And the other two are just amazing episodes for reasons I won't mention. Again, a tear falling. So people are really getting worried about how emotional Tales of Vasingse is. Ismail says the Tales of Vasingse leaves from the vine. That song has a direct line to my tear ducts, which I thought was a very well said because it definitely has a direct line to my tear ducts. S.D. Skold says, Tales of Bossing Say is wonderful, and I always remember the amazing fight in the Earth King. But it's the Blind Bandit. Of course it's the Blind Bandit. That episode is pure gold. And then they give with a quick shout out to the Water Tribe. Avery says, and this is why I like this one. Avery says, personally for me right now, and I just love that because that's you and me, right? In a nutshell. For us, it's like, what's my favorite right, right. now? Which definitely connotes like, and by the way, it could be different tomorrow because 100%. they shift around so much. As Because as soon as I watch a new episode, I'm like, hey, I just remembered something new. That's right. So Avery says, personally for me right now, it's Appa's Lost Days. I know it's such a dark episode. Yeah. You pointed that out. Yeah. But that's why I like it because it highlights such a big issue. What I love about the show is it wasn't afraid to bring up hard-hitting real-world issues. Right. And Nick Soonchella says the Earth King, a great bending at the beginning of the episode and brings things together for a good preseason finale. Since the Earth King episode did not make it into the top five of the responses, I wanted to give a quick shout out to that, especially since we love our friend Phil Namar, who plays the Earth King and is just like the best guy. So that's some of the stuff that we're hearing about on social media, my friend, as we get ready to dig in. It's exciting going around cons, I mean, together and even doing cons separately. I I love there's so many fans that come up and that are listening to the podcast, which I'm always, you know, it's always uh, I really love that and appreciate that you guys when we're out there just in the wild. Yeah, that you guys are actually listening and, and, and sharing it and being able to talk to you guys in person has been really cool. You know what we should do? Because we are coming in on our first year anniversary of recording. And so I'm starting to feel like because we are podcast husband and wife, you can't do anniversary gifts like you give to real actual marriages. But I'm thinking maybe we need to do like anniversary stuff that's appropriate for podcasts. Like for our first anniversary, we get each other some earbuds. Yeah. Our second anniversary, we give each other a new microphone. I like that. What do you think? I'm into that. <laughs> so then by the time it's like five years, we're getting each other. We have new studios now. <laughs> That's right. We bought each other entire buildings <laughs> that are our studios. We're going big, baby. We're going super big. Here's the thing, though. Do you feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves? I think we are getting ahead of ourselves. That's the only thing I'm worried about. Because now we're talking about all of this. It's like, wait, do we remember where we were when book one ended? Where have we been? <laughs> the only thing I'm for certain sure that I know is... Jow's gone. That's all I know. And that's all I really care about. (laughs) Jow's gone. Yeah. If I remember correctly, we had Gene Lun Yang on, who, of course, is the author of the early graphic novels. And he came through and did that recap with us. And between then and now, we also had the fan and friend quiz show that Jenny and Jack were on. We had the chance to debut some sweet, sweet uh, live Braving the Elements shows from a few different Comic Cons we did. And so you're not wrong to think we should maybe go back for a second and talk about where we are at the end of book one. So if I recall correctly, Team Avatar is likely to be heading out of the Northern Water Tribe. Right. Fire Nation officially defeated in that context you know jow's dead for the love (laughs) of everything okay but here's the thing i feel like you are so preoccupied with the fact that jow is dead that you aren't even celebrating the fact that zuko in fact did finally capture 
the Avatar. Now, he did. It wasn't last forever. But he got the sweet taste of the, being literally within your grasp for a moment. But then it's just, again, who's there? Yeah. Zhao is there. You got Koizilla. The, There's a lot wow. happening. But you are acting like Zuko did not extend his hand in an offer to save Zhao's life. He you did. are acting like he that did. never happened. Did. It did happen. It was a wonderful moral moment of the good heart of Zuko that lies beneath. If Zuko has a good heart in him. But when Zhao killed the fish, that look Ankara mm-hmm. gives him, it was so bad. <laughs> That's not cool. You, you took the moon out yeah. forever. He's gone. Zuko was even willing to show mercy. And Zhao was so egotistical, so pompous. I guess he would rather die than accept mercy from Prince Zuko. And And he's gone. He is gone. Here's the problem. If we agree that there's no place for a character like Zhao in this show for young people, the problem we have is that we have almost no time to celebrate that he's gone before Fire Lord Ozai is calling up his other kid so quickly he is like bringing in azula it's like now i want you to get just get everyone i want my daughter to just go out and get everyone i didn't even have time to mourn princess yue properly <laughs> because i immediately got scared as soon as i found out that this smirking clearly evil girl that i really don't know yet is obviously excited to go out and do her evil father's I can't bidding believe that's it. rough buddy right there i can't there. believe it I mean, exactly. It's happening. She's coming for us. I thought, too, now that we sort of have a sense of where we were at the end, imagine that you've just finished all of that work and the work that we now know as experts on book one, the work we know all of the people who worked on that season went through. The animators, the colorists, Mike and Brian, all the writers, all the cast, Nickelodeon, everybody worked so hard to pull out that first season of this show that had never been done before. That was a network that was taking a chance on something that had never been done before. It was a marathon. It was such hard work and barely had it ended before Mike and Brian got the great news that they were going to make a book too. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so tiring. It happened so fast. They had to quickly start getting ready. And in fact, they, if, and if you have the Avatar art book, you probably already know this, but they did a quick jaunt over to Beijing, China in the spring of 2005, Mike and Brian did, so that they could sort of get in the mood as they know they're going to kind of start gearing things towards Ba Sing Se. So they go visit the Great Wall. They visit the Forbidden City. I love that. I'm sitting here imagining Mike and Brian on a plane to Beijing and they're like going to go see the Great Wall and I'm just to see them with cameras in hand and drawing pads and just maybe Mike packed Brian a That's nice right. little lunch one day and they just walked around <laughs> and they had a little map discussing things and they were eating you know, yeah. street food with each other talking about life. There should be a mini, small, cute, non-canon episode where Mike and Brian go to China because everything I'm hearing, I'm loving. I'd like to see it animated, them just kind of hanging out. I'd love to see it. And one of the things that they mentioned in the book is that right before they left, they found out about this architecture park that had all of these historic Chinese building styles. And they were like, oh my gosh, we have to go to this place, but we also have to catch a plane. So they had very little time to go there. So they were just like split up and were just madly taking pictures of everything, 
drawing little sketches, making notes to themselves. I'm so seeing the anime it of them. it right now happening in my mind. Yes. So we have to give someone the instruction to create that episode for us of anime. They got back. They are both, of course, so um, quick to compliment all the rest of the team. They said all of the artists really rose to the occasion for season two. And they even promoted two artists in their own departments. Hey, Jun Kim became the color supervisor and Elsa Garagarza became the background design supervisor. They did some amazing work, led amazing teams. And one of the things that I remember, too, from looking at the book, which reminded me of doing Comic-Cons with Mike and Brian, is, you know, how they do that thing where they get all these thousands of people there and then they go through and they even show slides of like, and this is how we decided to design the clothing for the characters that you know. And so in the book, there's like, you see, okay, we're going into summertime. We're going to be in the Earth Kingdom. We got to give, for example, Sokka and Katara some summer duds. Because that whole water tribe winter look ain't cracking everywhere. Yeah, they're going to be very, very warm, not to mention where they're headed for season three. And what's crazy as you say all this stuff is like, you know, think about this, you guys. They're telling this whole story of book one, which was a great story, not knowing that there's going to be able to ever tell the rest of the story. Could you imagine if they're like, we're all just telling this story and it's over. And they're like, yeah, have a good day, you guys. See you next time. Yeah. On something There's else. no more Princess UA. Bye-bye. You're absolutely right. That is so much of what making a season of television is like. Right. And particularly back then, and particularly for all the reasons we just said, where they're taking this chance with this new show, to not know. In fact, you know what? We should talk to our two dads. Yes. We're starting book two. They can tell us how it felt. And they can tell us. I would love for you to ask them about what it was like to know that might be your right. last season and how you plan for that. Exactly. You want to just talk to yeah, them? Let's, let's see if we can track them down. Can we call somebody? Let's make some calls. Let's talk to our two dads. Let's talk to Mike DiMartino and Brian Konetsko about book two. Dante, can you believe it? We said we wanted to talk to our two dads, and it turns out we have the power to manifest them immediately. You are the avatar, and you get things done like that, like an avatar does. This is pure podcast host power, buddy. We're not even talking about the avatar right now. We're just talking about the pure podcasting power of braving the elements. (laughs) Our two dads are here. Hello. Hello, Mike and Brian. Thank you so much for joining us. Mike and Brian, welcome back to the show. Hello. Glad to see you again. Thanks for having us. Good to see you. Book two, baby. Here we go. I can only imagine that our sense of the avalanche of work that was coming at us when we found out our podcast was picked up for book two, it might have been just the same as the stress that you both experienced. (laughs) I'm sure they're commensurate. I'm sure it's comparable. But of course, now you're also very, very busy at Avatar Studios working on so many things. Stuff. Cause, because you're busy <laughs> plugging away at the story of... Avatar stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Top oh, secret. Top yeah. secret Avatar stuff. That's right. Barney, you don't have that clearance. I absolutely do not have the clearance to hear more about... Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we had to try. We had to try for the fans. We get so many questions on social media asking if we can I don't know, like, put a drone spy near your home. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say is, like, thank you for being patient. You will have to be more patient for a while because animation takes a very long time and developing things takes a very long time. Sometimes longer than you <laughs> expect. So we're, we're working hard. Everyone's working super hard. We're still working. <laughs> then yeah. one day, there will just be so much stuff. So, ah, so exciting. So great. 
It's so great. Well, we are happy to fill that gap with just nonstop talk about how much we love the shows and the books in the entire world. And we really appreciate you coming on to just kind of set the tone with us. You know, Dante and I were just talking, as you know, moments ago, we were talking about how we just wanted to get into the mindset of, you know, here you go. You you finished up the successful series as you guys are looking towards the end of book one. Towards the end of book one, you did not know, correct, that you were getting another season. Well, there's always overlap, you know, in yeah. TV, like there's kind of a like a pickup date that yeah. the network has to pick up season two if they don't want people to start rolling off the crew, you know, gotcha. which gotcha. you usually want to avoid. You might build in a little hiatus so people get a little break, gives you maybe a little moment to catch breath or something well, I mean, at first, we didn't even know if the Blue Spirit would be the last one because we right. were only picked up that far. And then we got wow. the rest of the pickup for season one. So that was a relief. But yeah, obviously, our biggest number one goal was just finishing telling the story. So getting the whole second chunk of it, the, the whole second third going was exciting. I don't remember the exact timing, but I, I, I am pretty sure we had a season two pickup before we were finished with Season one, we had probably finished all the writing on season one, but we were, I'm sure, still in production on the, you know, the end of the first season, because like Brian said, things are always overlapping. Because I do recall we had a little like writer's retreat, me and Brian and the writers, we all went away for a couple days, got out of the studio, went to Palm Springs, I believe. And sat around trying to come up with ideas for for season two. Sounds like a fun retreat. (laughs) I love it. Did you guys come up with like cliffhanger ideas? Did you like, we're going to have this cliffhanger for sure. And then we also may have something in our back pocket in case we get canceled to wrap this bad boy up. Like right quick. Nah, (laughs) by that point we were just going full steam ahead, you know, just not leaving anything in the tank. But yeah, we mapped out. I think everybody just kind of brought ideas to the table. There were old ideas in there, like, new characters and Aang's going to be learning earth this season. And how are we going to get into that? And um, I don't know where we had the discussion, but we definitely, I remember Aaron Ehas had like a really good instinct on look, everybody knows who goes going to eventually, I guess this is a spoiler alert or <laughs> foreshadow report. Foreshadow report. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go good. So guess what? I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. Brian. <laughs> I had no clue. I was like, what am I doing? So Aaron was like, we should definitely have him go worse first, you know, which I think not even just as like a twist. I think that was a good kind of character thing, you know, like he's definitely on a trajectory because life's like that. Everything's not in like a linear arc, you know, it's a little messier. So ain't um, that the truth. Yeah, it was fun. That was the first retreat, Mike. We went to That's what I recall. Yeah. Santa Barbara was the second one. We did a little one for season three as well. I mean, those were super fruitful because it was what we did at work, which was like sit in the writer's room and talk about ideas. But I don't know. It did, it did help to sort of like not have the uh, pressures of the other parts of our job, having to jump to other meetings right away or, or whatever for right. a couple of days. So everyone could focus creatively. And yeah, I mean, another big thing was like all the Azula stuff. Cause she was coming into the season. I know and, super big character coming um, in. I mean, I love how you hinted at her at the end of book one. And then she just comes in hot. Like you do a reveal from her feet to her head and like, and I'm coming in with fireballs, just killing everybody. <laughs> I mean, maybe we had some specific episode ideas, but they were much more like bigger picture stuff of like, here are all the things we want to explore in this season. And then, you know, then once we were all back at 
at the studio, we'd be breaking down episodes and talking more specifically. Where does that fall chronologically with when the two of you went to China, the writer's retreat? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> you- <laughs> was that in season two, Brian? I think I think it was during season two, yeah. Janet, you're, you're right, though. This was around the same time because it was 2005 uh, when we went. Oh that would goodness. be when we were working on. Don't throw out years like that, Brian, because it puts us into a whole wind tunnel. Like, don't say years. We started production on season one in 2004. So we were definitely 2005, you know, straddled a good chunk of book two. I think we talked a lot about when we do get to Bossing Say, and, and Bossing Say was, you know, Mike and I got to go to the Forbidden City, and that was our big kind of visual inspiration for it. And we talked a lot about how we were going to subvert expectations maybe you know with when you you get there and there's kind of shadow government running right. things you know and yeah. and uh mm-hmm. i remember coming up with the episode of the guru that was one i wanted to like use as a kind of halfway point i thought it would be a good like ang taking stock of like all that had happened to him using the chakras as a sort of mechanism for processing that but i remember again aaron ehas was like he had this idea to do it kind of the way we ended up in season three using the Ember Island players where that was a sort of catch your breath and like recap things and let the characters recap, not just for the audience, but like let them sort of look back on their journey before they go into the finale. So, you know, so many recap episodes, TV shows have done over the years, but it's the Ember Island players is such a unique classic way of doing a a recap. Yeah. Tim Hedrick came up with that one. So yeah, I really wanted to do this guru one, but I remember Aaron made a, a strong case for moving it right before the season finale. Dante and I were just talking, and I did mention your trip to China, especially, you know, in the art book, we learned that you had the opportunity to go to this architecture park, but it was right before you were about to leave. And Dante said that he wanted to see an actual, like, anime of the two of you running around (laughs) desperately sketching and being like, come over here, I'll split up. It was hilarious. Literally, we, (laughs) yeah, I think we had an hour and it was a pretty big park. And they, these were like, in most cases, like one-to-one scale buildings of 55 different cultures within China, like different ethnic groups, and they all have different architecture styles. And these were like really traditionally built recreations of most of them. And and so (laughs) it was like, Mike, you go that way. way." (laughs) And we like ran and we had our little 2005 digital cameras. And then like, at some point, you know, at 47 minutes in, we saw each other and sort of crisscrossed. It was definitely like an old Charlie Chaplin film. Well, that's one of the things that I think came up for me when I was thinking about you guys going on that trip and thinking about the show and just wondering how challenging it may be to have these experiences where you know you're there and so much of it is about being inspired and having that respect for the Chinese culture and So this idea of trying to balance, right, because we talk about balance on the podcast and it's such a huge theme of the show, balance being there, being present to the moment where you are there experiencing it, but also trying to sort of file everything away. Was that challenging at all? Kind of trying to be your own encyclopedia, thinking, okay, I need to remember this. I'm going to write this down. But also, I really want to be here. Do you know what I mean? That trip was kind of a blur because it was so, I mean, I think we were there for two, maybe three days even. And yeah, there wasn't much time to just sort of like enjoy it. <laughs> we were sort of, oh, I mean, as I recall, we kind of went there on a mission, 
like a research mission because I think we were in Korea visiting the animation studios Mm -hmm. over there. We just added it on at the end for a quick go to the Forbidden City. We went to the Great Wall. We sat in traffic so much. As I recall, the architecture park was kind of like a bonus because it was like the tour guide was like, oh, you want to see some interesting architecture? Well, let me... Let me take you to this really cool museum. So we kind of didn't even know what it was until we got there. And we were like, oh, man, this is. Then we were like, we could have spent like a week there. Right. It was an art director's dream. So yeah. I was very excited. And we used a lot of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it all make his way into the show, which is amazing. That's For sure. So cool. And um, yeah, another thing I remember from the writer's retreat, uh, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, is I think that's when we came up with the idea. Like we needed a way to slow the kids down so that they would have to travel by foot. Oh, Obviously, yeah. we didn't want anything really oh, bad to happen we, uh, to Appa. But <laughs> Let's kidnap him. Let's get him gone. Yeah, it's when we came up with the idea to have them get separated from Appa. Which is so sad. I um, know. To the emotional pain of fans everywhere. We got to weave things that were more little mini arcs into this season, you know, so it wasn't quite so isolated in the episodes. I think, you know, Nickelodeon as a network had been really freaked out about that idea but we kind of gained a little i think a little bit of confidence from them so we were able to do season two i think more like we were originally envisioning the show you know it's a little bit more of a journey that's just adventures in a row you know it has little mini arcs and character arcs and did the timing for production did any of that adjust for season two was there any like good news you get five extra weeks or (laughs) bad news we got to trim down you get two less weeks like how did that because i know you guys made some internal kind of promotions if you want to use that word where you set a couple of really talented people at the head of some of the departments you mentioned being in korea to visit the animators you did make some shifts there that were really positive it sounded like yeah the production's always evolving and the people who are doing great get to do more great stuff and get promoted. And uh, we brought in new artists, new directors. Joaquim Dos Santos started on season two. Mm. Yeah. Joaquim joined on the, the zoo tale of Bossing Say. Yeah. I think that was his first mm. storyboard. Definitely no relief in the schedule. If anything, uh-huh. we were, I was you know in my art director duties just falling further behind, surely. Season one of anything is just horrible. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> I always say it's as if no one's ever made animation before. Like everyone's just kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And like, it's just, it's really hard to get it off the ground, get over the static friction and get some momentum because you're drawing a world into existence, you know, it just, it's, right. and you're trying to show people a style and a vision and trying to figure that vision out at the same time. But I just remember on season two, you start getting into a groove and we promoted Elsa Garagarza up to head up the background design so she would sort of manage two designers and sometimes i think some freelancers under her and then i would just meet with her which made it a lot more efficient for me i didn't have to have three meetings you know with like three different designers and she's awesome she was just so great i mean all the designers were but elsa was just a great team leader and that helped the show start to look better the animators were just getting into their grooves too. And, you know, so I was season two, I think is definitely a, a big quality. It was more consistent, I think, than season right. one. 
you know. Now, just am I so I because I don't remember all this stuff. Like, either do I, Dante. I don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love doing this podcast because going back watching this show is like these foggy memories. I do remember you guys traveling a lot, and you guys would get back in the booth and like, oh, we came from somewhere. We talk about what doing yoga in other countries and, and things like that. But <laughs> during you're talking about the season two, you got to start on this. Has season one been done airing in in real time, or where are we at? No. Where the audience? No. There's so much overlap. That's the thing. Like That's so intense. when people got really some fans so that whole thing I mentioned about Zuko going worse before he gets better. Right, right. That he and Katara were gonna smooch. They thought yeah. he was just gonna be this knight in shining armor. And we swerved in the other direction. Swerved. Right. And I remember we got a letter that was like not just from one person, it was like a collective of people oh. like we the so and so have authored this demand and it was like we demand <laughs> you rewrite and reanimate the finale episode but we were already like deep into season three <laughs> when, like, when that i also came out. imagine you probably wouldn't have uh would have been like no, stop I, the presses everyone it's Hold amazing that, that that certain fans care that much they were so mad at us and and i remember joaquin was by that point we were into season three he was a director we were all enjoying this letter i think we hung it up on our like fan art wall and um what keeps like why don't we just give them the money and say okay here you animate it (laughs) (laughs) you do it the new reality show a bunch of people who don't know how to do something (laughs) hopefully they'll do it that's like season one of anything (laughs) there you go there you go well that's been one of the really amazing things about you know our first season of braving the elements we really did get that full holistic sense of that from all of these different voices on the production you know people like the writers and you know obviously ben and jeremy and everybody just kind of going you know it was a lot of fun it was really scary and it was probably scariest and hardest for mike and brian but you guys were still helming it in such a way that everyone says we didn't know what we were doing but then the stories that we hear sound still very in control in the sense of like we're still working together as a team we're still getting stuff done because it has to get done when it has to get done like do you know what i mean because you hear about productions that are in their first season and it's utter chaos and nothing gets comes in on time and so i feel like that there's maybe some controlled chaos that was happening in season one that got smoothed out for season two for you guys is that fair to say it's always controlled chaos, I feel like, <laughs> to varying extents, yeah. Always. And I love the stories of the first book. You guys are all young. You guys knew each other. You guys are all friends. And you guys are all pretty young at the time going, yeah. Yeah. two of yeah. our homies got this opportunity to like helm this show. And now all the homies are coming in. But everyone's so young going, uh, we're not 100% sure how to do the sound or the, this or that. But we're just going to Ben talking it. about it, his mom buying him toys. Like Ben saying, like, my mom would give me toys. And, and she thought that this would sound good in Avatar. And she was always right. It was like <laughs> such a great, great Joan rendition. Is so cool. <laughs> you know, Mike and I had been working on this for three years by this point. You know, like right. we started in spring of 2002. So... 2005 we had been on this thing working full time like the whole time pretty much so now we were in the thick of it yes season one was painful season two just yeah it started to get a little bit of momentum so that was really exciting to see it was um really satisfying the journey was really becoming real and and looking a lot better (laughs) than it did first season do you guys have favorite episodes from this season 
Yeah, favorite moments in the season. Definitely. This season has some of my favorite episodes of Avatar in season two. I really like the plot of the Avatar state. I'm still really proud of that one. I think that is like one of those things that we try to to focus on, which is not just like good versus evil, but just I think General Fong is not an evil. He really believes what he's doing is right. Right. And he knows it's unpleasant. Without you, we'd be slaughtered before we even reach their shores. But with you leading the way, as the ultimate weapon, we could cut a swath right through to the heart of the Fire Nation. The greatest good for the greatest number kind of concept he's going with. Yeah, but it's not good. You know, it's bad. Yeah. And, and Aang is this kid who's gone through trauma. And that's one of the traumatic things that he has to process in the Guru episode is all of the people that he hurt. Look at all the guilt which burdens you so. What do you blame yourself for? away i hurt all of those people i like the maturity of that theme and that plot obviously the blind bandit is one of my favorites and then um the drill is i mean i went so deep into slurry and tunnel boring machines (laughs) and trying to pitch this to everybody and like just like what but i feel there's a strength and specificity and it's better to just come up with like one really specific like the frogs and the blue spirit just like something really specific and not yeah. just like generic and random and broad and then anyway cities of walls and secrets is I just so beautifully animated and just i love that episode yeah we might have to drag you in for some of those mike how about you yeah i would say that like the whole bossing say arc like all those episodes stand as a really good unit because i mean when we did them they were cool because i love like 1984 and like conspiracy stuff right. and and whatever and but some of it at the time when we were writing like the judy stuff of like there is judy. no war in bossing say like it I seemed know. a little silly and i was like eh, no one would people really believe this and then now when i see those now. episodes i'm like oh, poignancy oh, this seems uh Absolutely. quite appropriate to our time <laughs> like i know how wild is it now like at this particular moment in silencing talk of conflict bossing say remains a peaceful orderly utopia the last one on earth There is no war within the walls. Here we are safe. Here we are free. It is interesting, like, you know, when it was, when it first came out a couple of years ago again, had the resurgence and people were writing about it again. Like, you know, there was a lot of writing about not just that episode, but the political themes and stuff of the show and just how relevant it was to that, our time now. And that is true. And then I also feel like it's just kind of, we were inspired by stuff that had happened in history, throughout history, in, in various right. time periods. So it's just a reminder that it's a cycle. It's like the Avatar keeps happening. I didn't tell you guys, but I told this story to Janet a while back. We were at New York City Comic Con. I'm signing autographs, right? And then there's a guy there, and he's, and he's telling me, like like a lot of fans out there, like, I grew up with you. Like I'm like, oh, thank you, man. I love that. I was there for your, you know, you growing up. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. We grew up with you, our generation. I go, yeah. And he goes, no. You don't understand Avatar programmed our generation. <laughs> that is definitely connected to our generation growing up, trying to get the world back in balance. And I'm like oh, sitting in New York City Comic Con, like <laughs> I kind of got chills down my spine. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness, this dude is dropping crazy <laughs> knowledge on me right now. That's wow. awesome. Well, one of the things that I'm really excited to get into pretty early on as we dive into the season is going to be talking about some of the more 
uh, diegetic music. I think that's what I mean, that, you know, actual songs that take place that are sort of part of the plot. You know, we had a little, little bit of that in book one, but there's a lot of stuff that just cracks wide open in book two. And, you know, obviously, I can't wait to talk to some folks uh, that I'll keep secret about uh, Secret Tunnel and about the influence and the just sort of wonderful kind of like, oh, I guess this is sort of the anthem for fans. And it's this kind of language Mm -hmm. through which you recognize, you know, I know you, you know me, we know this thing together, therefore we are the same. And and just how lovely it is. It's so Mm -hmm. intense. When we wrapped Cora, I taught like a winter session course at RISD, Mike's and my alma mater. And so I was on the East Coast with my dog, who was one of the inspirations for Naga, my dog Gunther. And we had to make our journey back west. But I was invited to speak at Swarthmore College. And uh, so I went down there to give a lecture. The stipulation was my rider was that I could bring my dog. It was like it's winter and I'm not going to leave him in the car for a long lecture or in some hotel or something right so gunther came out on stage with me um he was a big golden golden doodle so he was like three-quarter golden and part standard poodles he was huge and we're standing just backstage and all of a sudden i hear this terrifyingly (laughs) creepy loud (laughs) like reciting (laughs) of the opening of the show katara's full narration memorized the whole crowd did it it was so loud and gunther i remember you know when a dog will just look up at you like what is happening like, he's just like what is this evil chance like where where have you brought me like what is gonna happen when i walk out on that scene but i do believe they all also sang secret tunnel i could be wrong about that but, but yeah the incidental music was yeah it was really fun it's so good when do you guys start receiving fan art and how there's a thing called mail, and, and and back in the day, the snail mail. I don't believe you. Back in our younger years, people would send us written pieces of paper and drawings in an envelope, <laughs> and we'd receive them at Nickelodeon. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously online discussions back then, but we did get a lot of fan mail via Nickelodeon. You know, they would just send like to Mike and Brian at Nickelodeon, and somehow it got to us. <laughs> Um, so we did get a lot it's of like letters Santa, and the North yeah, Pole. drawings and, and whatnot. Um, the first bits of fan art ever were my nephew, Alexander. <laughs> That's true. Long before the show ever came out, he saw the pitch drawings that I had done and Bible that we put together. And he, he did these drawings of Katara and Sokka and oh, wow. Aang. And, um, so that was the official very, very, very first fan art. But I mean, the first two episodes premiered and then there was already there were one or two fan websites that started avatarspirit.net and distant winds or something like that those like popped up right away and we were just like whoa we thought it would take some time you know to kind of have that kind of resonance but yeah we got a lot of cool stuff so that when you would walk up the green slime stairs at nickelodeon (laughs) at the top of the loft was our space and then over on the left was spongebob but there was like a big wide wall that was like the backs of some cubicles and we just made that our whole big fan art mural we just pinned them all up there it was it was so neat this is a great way to just constantly be reminded of how it was connecting with people especially kids you know? yeah Oh, that's so amazing because it was obviously not the first show either of you worked on, but certainly the first show where it came directly from your brain 
in your brains alone. Well, many other brains. We we, we squished a bunch of brains together. You a lot drew, of writers. I mean, and, you guys said, yeah. this is what Anne yeah. looks like. And, you know, I don't think anybody else was like, I've decided to draw up a new way. And I hope the two You'd of be you surprised. understand. <laughs> <really>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I've said in the past, and like in the Avatar Spirits documentary, like, you know, Mike and I had started this in 2002 and we had been working on it full time. So we had been living with this and toiling with it. And there's, up, you know, ups and downs and no one even knew what it was. It's not just like right now where you want to know what we're doing at Avatar Studios. It's like no one even knew who we were, what we were cooking up behind the scenes. So when you get to season two, most of season one is out there. There you've got a wall of fan art growing you're like, okay, this isn't just this kind of isolated thing, this secret that we're carrying anymore. This is like, it's out there, you know? And once it's out there, it takes on a life of its own. And like you were saying, Dante, people grow up with it. It becomes a part mm -hmm. of how they value the system yeah. and, and how they see the world. How they see themselves, yeah. But it was forming its own community. You know, people were meeting each other because of it at the conventions and on forums and stuff. So... Not that you, you know, float around and pat yourself on the back, but you just become like aware that you're in the middle of this sort of loop, you know, this right. feedback loop. Do you guys do, I mean, especially now going to the Avatar verse stuff, but even I guess coming back your second season, first time really dealing with expectations from, you know, fans or, or whatnot, studios or whatnot, the expectations and that others may put upon you and then once you put upon yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, we always had the highest expectations for ourselves. So. Right. Yeah, we were very hard on ourselves. I have some last questions. I found this in my old notes and I was like, I do want to ask this question. <laughs> it's so dumb. Mike, it's for you. Thinking about you and the very early stages of Avatar The Last Airbender and how robots have long been an inspiration to you. There's some robot mm -hmm. characters that have been a big deal um, in your world. And we know kind of what the early sketches included in that there was a little bit of a robot element in very, very early iterations. So but putting that aside, if you had to turn one of the human characters from Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> into a robot... Mm. This is the best question ever. This is the best. <laughs> this is the best bit of Avatar journalism I have ever heard. So this would be like um, Westworld, where it's like you're discovering, like, oh Do no, you they're didn't actually know that Sokka was always a robot. <laughs> right. Oh, a secret robot, or just like it could be a secret robot, or it could be like rewriting alternate universe. Like one of the characters had to be a known robot. One of them's Data. Yeah, I like that version. No, I like robot. the version where one is just a robot, like, Got it. and you know it. But you, you, yeah, Mike, you I answer think, both. I think, uh, man, that's a tricky one. I know. I'd want it to be in their group, but then I'm like, none of those kids could be robots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like they would have to, after Zuko turned good, Ozai and Azula create a robot Zuko to go after the kids. <laughs> oh, great answer. A Terminator yeah, Zuko a Terminator to kind of go after them. Zuko 2000. And then Zuko has right. to fight himself. I immediately was like, Sokka. Sokka's a robot. <laughs> That's sure. what I said, too. Yeah, he could be a sure. He could have a computer quirky, brain. Yeah. You know, he's definitely the C-3PO-ish kind of could be smart and yeah. wild. I was thinking, yeah, he's sort of a Tin Man C-3PO, but exactly the exact same personality, <laughs> just a robot. <laughs> I was like, my brother's a robot. I mean, don't ask about it. It's just how yeah, it is. And you just <laughs> never explain it. There's no other robots anywhere in the world or in the Southern Water Tribe. You just, yeah. And But everyone knows what a robot is. <laughs> 
He's not famous. <laughs> well, once we got to Korra, then we could actually do some like robot oh, things yeah. like the mechs and the, you know, Kavir's giant mech. I know we're jumping oh, way ahead here, but those are like yeah. mech suits. So good. Yeah. yeah the mech stuff. Yeah. That, that All great. that technology came in the new series for sure. The biggest technology that we had in the original series was like the guys who flew. The mechanist was bringing in some technology. The airships. Yeah. I mean, the drill is the biggest. Oh, the drill. Piece. The drill the drill's is very scary. You did a great job with that. Thank you. Um, it's a huge piece of machinery, you know. Did they have a toys for the drill? No one made a toy of the drill. No. <laughs> but the I drill. would love it. Makita. Makita came to us. They said, look, we would love to make an operational tunnel boring machine. Yeah. You could buy slurry. You could get different colors. What about those varnishes that climb the, the mountains and stuff? And they can those tanks. And stuff? Those, those climbing tanks. tanks. Yeah, we definitely talked about the tanks making great toys. In terms of merchandising, this is where the great ideas are born. Okay, so a couple of listener questions. Joseph at Jedi Master Joe tweeted, <laughs> Waterbenders get the full moon. Firebenders get Sozin's Comet. If the other two types of benders got a power boost, what would give them mm. a boost? We wrote it into the series Bible. There was a little chapter about different natural phenomena. Again, we like even though it's magic, we wanted it to be really linked with natural phenomena. Sure. And so we never really did this because story-wise, like, oh, we need a storm to come. And Aang's like not at an advantage. But I think our original idea was like a storm could actually make an airbender really powerful. Maybe it's just something you, you've got to become a master to like wrangle that kind of energy. But that's one of those things where you could have gale force wind, like a hurricane, mm -hmm. but a, an airbender could use harness that momentum. It. They could, could harness, harness it. We haven't done it yet. Maybe we will. A twister story. Maybe an earthquake, an earthbender could oh. maybe kind of harness an earthquake or something. I don't know. We never did it, but there's plenty more stories <laughs> See, to tell. Good question, Jedi Master Joe. Next question from Adrian. The Adrian C tweeted, so with the customs of Northern Water Tribe, how did they handle situations like when Kiyoshi and other female avatars needed to learn waterbending for their avatar training? So our idea is that the Northern Water Tribe the water tribes in general, it's not just two tribes. It, it was meant to be many tribes in the north and in the south. The northern ones might have a bit more linking them, you know, kind of some more kind of customs and, and things linking them. And the southern ones a bit more linked than the north. But our idea was that they were much more culturally varied before the war. And that mm. the war had, as can happen anywhere in the world, the war had an effect where it they all sort of huddled together for survival and strength, you know, and protection. And one sort of cultural thing took over and sort of made it more homogenous. And that maybe they were the larger, more dominant culture before the war, but then they sort of like took over. So our idea was that it was a, that wasn't like ubiquitous in the north from like shore to shore before the war. That was like a kind of conservative result of, of weathering this long war. And, hundred years. Know. That makes sense. A lot could happen in a hundred years. Well, also yeah. too, like back then they could have learned from benders in the south too. So it didn't have to be just in the north. But if a bender was born there, yeah, right. maybe they would have to go. They just go to another tribe <laughs> somewhere else or something. But yeah, they could have gone to the south. Great answer. Thank you, our two dads, for taking time out from your busy Avatar studio schedule. I know it must be hard to take a break from working on. Mm -hmm. So many things. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a lovely treat to stop by and just get to reminisce, you know, because our heads are in our 
current problems. <laughs> you know? So it's nice to stop and go, oh, yeah, we made it through. We survived all of those yes, old production indeed. nightmares. So. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back if we can wrangle you and your busy schedules working on to have you back for upcoming episodes. We certainly would love to. We love our two dads. Thanks so much, Good guys. Good to you guys. Great catching up. Good luck with the process. Thank you. Thank you both. Great to see you. Next time on Braving the Elements, Dante and I will be recapping the first episode of season two, The Avatar State. Thanks for listening to Avatar Brave the Elements and make sure to subscribe and please leave us a review. It really helps the podcast so much and me and Janet really appreciate it. You can follow me on social media at the JV Club on Instagram and at Janet Varney on Twitter. And I'm at Dante Bosco on both of those. We'll see you next Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.